What's up, everybody? This is LibUX, the podcast about design and user experience for libraries and the higher ed web. I'm Michael. I'm Amanda. And we are here with Lisa Raby, who um, we asked to be on the podcast a whole month ago, and then finally were able to wrangle our schedules. Because, um, as some of you longtime listeners know, Amanda and I have some thoughts about the hiring of library web folk, um, their 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 salaries, uh, their expectations, and Lisa has quite a lot to say. So, um, so <laughs> I have feelings. So, yeah. So why don't you, so you wrote a post, um, on January, like kind of like middle of January that was called, I want to be a triple X librarian, which is really <laughs> exciting. Um, but since we asked you to be on the podcast, it spurned and respond three kind of like sequels that have become really interesting. And so we're just going to talk about all of them, but okay. for, Folks who don't know what we're talking about, or even maybe like who you are, can you um, <laughs> can you introduce yourself briefly? But I'm really interested if you can somehow give us like maybe not a summary of all of your posts, but just like somehow communicate where you're coming from, okay, the frustration and kind of what you're seeing in the on the job hunt. <laughs> okay, well, my name is Lisa Raby. In my previous life, um, I was in IT. I was a network engineer. Um, then I went to library school. And so since I graduated in 2010, which I think is the same year as Amanda did, and I was, became a systems and web librarian at a local community college in Michigan, and uh, decided after three and a half years I was going to write a book. And the book turned out to stall, but my husband at the time and I decided I was going to take a year off. And if any of you recognize my name, you may know me as a person who got sued for $1.25 million uh, for defamation. And the case was dismissed. <laughs> I have to keep stressing that because yeah. most people still think the case is ongoing. So I applaud. So, okay, so that takes us up to end of 2014. Um, when the book stalled, I decided it was probably a good idea for me to start applying for positions um, with the hopes of starting in the spring. Academic cycles usually start uh, in late summer um, and or early spring. So it's kind of, or actually in January or so. So I started applying, and my first round of applications when I came out of library school, um, I had 110 applications out, and finally got hired on 111. With this time around, I expected, because I had uh, numerous years of experience, I had now experience in a variety of things other than IT, um, I should have been hireable in a much quicker fashion. Turned out, not so much. Once people started Googling me and found information about the case, uh, I became, I guess the best word I can come up with it is a pariah in the library world. Um, since that time, I've been steadily applying. In 2015, I applied for 160 jobs. And that includes, now that wasn't just library positions. That also included uh, social media, content manager, editorial stuff. So it was kind of, most of them, I would say probably about 120 of them were all library positions. Came up with a lot of great interviews. Um, in December, I was one of two for two different positions. Got shafted on both. Um, not that I'm bitter or anything. So it came to the point where I was getting super frustrated because I was writing a lot of CVs and letters of interests and kept tailoring everything. And the whole process was even more ridiculous than when I came out of library school. And the original posts that I wrote back during library school and during my first foyer into applying for positions were still are still relevant today, but they've gotten um, 
it's become much more, oh my gosh, I can't even think of a good word. Um, I would say frustrating is probably the nice way to say it. Um, the first post I talked about um, the ridiculousness of how many library position, how many library job titles they were um, for the same position. I think there was 15, 20, I can't remember the exact count. The next one was talking about the ridiculousness of the library positions that were available. Um, I think the third post I compared and contrasted my that, those jobs descriptions along with my current job or my job that I had my previous job and what was double talk and marketing speak versus actual <laughs> uh, what they were actually expecting of you. And then the last post, which just went up the last week or so, talked about how to prep and do your CVs. And I kind of game or how to prep and apply for positions. And I think there's, I know there's a lot of unconventional advice out there, but I maintain the stance that hiring managers have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and there's no one hiring manager I've talked to has the same opinion as another hiring manager. And I think that becomes really detrimental to people coming out of library school, especially because they're told to act and pre present themselves in certain ways and then wonder why they're not, you know, getting applications out or they're not um, getting hired or interviewed or what have you. It's because what's okay for one is not okay for another. And so the best advice I can give there is to kind of find a way in the middle and stick to your guns. So that's kind of the three minute wrap up. <laughs> well, let's yeah, let's go back to part of that. What you kind of say within your posts is that there really is sort of a, a lack of a consistent vocabulary to describe the kind of position all of these employers are kind of sort of trying to hire for <laughs> and the responsibilities associated with that position this you know sort of bespeaks or betrays that this is a kind of a very new niche within a uh, librarianship you know i'm looking at your list of titles so yeah I've, I've seen a lot of these online learning librarian web services librarian that's what i am systems librarian i'm also a systems librarian um these things you know these things all describe sort of nebulously the exact same thing and i suspect and you kind of mentioned that in so many words that this lack of vocabulary this lack of a understanding of what you are hiring and and why you are hiring this person is to the real detriment of that position to the real detriment of library systems in general or the libraries overall yeah i think um i just counted there's uh, the first post where I actually describe it as the ridiculousness of job titles and their descriptions, there's 14 different job titles, which all are the same thing. Then it goes into, like I mentioned, the next post, which is about what those job descriptions really mean. And what it's what libraries think they want versus what they actually need is actually the big thing that nobody actually talks about. And at my last two interviews that I had when I was doing the in-person interviews, as they were going on through their spiel and they were throwing a lot of marketing terms around. Let's describe a unicorn for those who haven't heard. Um, okay, so unicorn person is somebody who, um, in, in terms of technology, they can do uh, front-end development, back-end development. They are a whiz at social media. And in, front, in terms of front-end development, it's not only building the code, but also have web design, graphic design, um, information architecture down, UX, UI down. They also need to be a liaison to different departments, at least in the academic world. They need to do collection development, reference, <laughs> which I know is Michael's favorite thing. Um, <laughs> um, they need to be able to do reference. They need to be, uh, I think I counted, 
hang on just a sec, I'll quick look. Oh yeah, so I'll break this down again. Traditional library services, system administrator, database administrator, web developer, social media outreach content creator, community manager, accessibility manager, copyright manager, wow. open source guru, wow. and project manager. And I had all of those positions, a variant of all those positions in my last job. I actually calculated, um, when I talk about this, when I have spoken about this in the past, I've calculated once you take all those things down, I actually had three hours a week out of a 37 and a half hour week, three hours of that I could actually do systems. That was managing. The- I wrote down that quote. Yeah, you two point seven five hours. Was it exactly? It was something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was to manage because my initial job was to come in and manage the systems. So the ILS, um, the um, Iliad, um, OCLC products. You know, you name it. I was supposed to be the manager of it, and I only had three hours. And then the argument I've heard. Well, you know, when you're on the reference desk, and I'm like. My response is, have you worked at a reference desk at a busy community college? <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, are any kind of academic you know, endeavor, I mean, anybody actually in any library, they're not always going to have downtime. And I think it's ridiculous to expect that we need to do our jobs, two jobs at once. What I find interesting is this whole concept where you got IT people who are supposed to also be manning desks throughout the day. And it's like, how can you balance both of those? Well, I think one, I think, one way I would kind of tie into that is a lot of these positions are now requiring computer science degrees. And a lot of these positions are including, actually are not including, they're including a computer science degree, but not including necessarily an MLIS. Interesting. I haven't seen many of those job descriptions. I still, and that's, that's been one of my arguments. I've sometimes, you know, joke that I, I don't put my MLIS to much use, but, <laughs> but I still see, you know, I, you know, at least go looking at the code for lib job boards, which, you know, kind of like hit the listservs, mm-hmm. um, and, and all these things that come to anyone who's, uh, as obsessively subscribed to things as I, the, I still see a lot of like MLIS you mentioned, um, you actually bring up in one of your posts, what I see a lot are, uh, the requirement of a uh, dual master's degrees, MLIS and, a subject specialist degree of some sort, MLIS and a CS or something like that, which to my mind, like sort of makes an argument that the MLIS itself isn't all that uh, useful, <laughs> but also it has, it carries with it a lot of presumptions about the person's ability to attain the, the MLIS. When I sometimes like flirt with the idea of, hey, maybe going back and getting um, another degree or going back to school, I can't really like justify the cost because there, I can't I can't see that there's much of a return on investment. And when I have colleagues who are subject specialists who have both, like in this case, maybe an MLIS and an art degree or a degree in business communication or something like that, they aren't making any more money than I am. So it makes it it makes to me like when I've been on search committees or when I look at these job posting, I can't justify the argument that there needs to be this kind of like dual specialization for any good reason other than weeding out the glut of applicants. <laughs> I think it completely depends upon the job because I do have a double. I do have a double masters, um, well, triple if you include the archives. So I have I have an I have an MA in humanities. It's a very broad humanities. Originally, I wanted to go to get my PhD in art history, which as we can see, Hmm. didn't really turn out that well. Um, (laughs) And then when I was doing my master's by MLIS, I also got trained as an archivist. So, and that job field is way worse than the library world. But anywho, so (laughs) what I found is those positions, and again, I can only speak about the academic world. I can't speak about public. And those who are requiring a double 
double master's degrees do tend to get paid more. Not much, but they do tend to get paid more. Now, if you are talking about getting, let's say, what is it, MCIS, MSI, some, the, whatever the master's in computer science is, if you have that, nine times out of ten, I think you're right, you're going to end up using, your ba- if your background is in computer science or information technology or something along those lines, and you have a master's on top of that, your MLIS is kind of redundant. I mean, there's no point in having it. I think, I mentioned this in the, one of the posts, I'm kind of the unicorn in the sense that I have a really heavy IT background, but all my education is in humanities. So I used to when I interviewed in the beginning, I used to say I can speak geek to human and human to geek, which is what they were looking for. I mean, uh, sure. my last position, the library had burned its bridges with the IT department. And anything that the library needed, whether it was just a software upgrade or you know new equipment or if they were purchasing hardware for something, IT put them on the very end of the list. And it took me six months of schmoozing IT and to get them actually to start thinking of the library as actually a department of need. (laughs) And they told me flat out that um, the only reason why they started warming up to me was because I had proven uh, my worth to them. So... (laughs) Oh, that's so gross. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I know. But I bribed them. I used to bring them cookies. Oh, nice. So there was a lot of bribery on my part. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I think going back to the point that you were saying, yeah, it's... It's ridiculous. I, I guess my bottom line is it's just ridiculous of what's expected versus what we actually have. And we were kind of you're kind of mentioning about having that having not used your MIS in your job. And we were talking about uh, another colleague of ours that we know who has an MIS, but he is completely background. He does nothing but server administration. Mm-hmm, I know at least mm-hmm. three other people who have MLISs who are heavy tech, who actually have migrated from the library world into doing background server or front-end development of some kind. Well, that's another point that I uh, kind of glommed on when I was uh, refreshing myself with the posts was that I see a lot of this and a lot of my colleagues because what I am as a web services librarian and specifically I work on the front end on like front end Angular JavaScript and th- things that are web design, right? The web design in a library, yeah, but it's, it's design. Um, a lot of my colleagues who are in similar positions have gone elsewhere or they are migrating maybe um, maybe laterally or up the chain into more broadly campus IT, but disassociating themselves from the library because these IT positions pay a little bit more competitively <laughs> for the skills that they have. You know, the library is kind of, like, in my experience, I came in as a web services librarian five years ago, and I think, like, many web services librarians are, like, or first-generation ones, I guess. It was a position that was newly created um, or that had accreted other positions, and they gave it a new title. Um, and a lot of the stuff I learned, I did learn on the job, um, but... The the big disconnect are, is that these skills in cor- in uh, corporate or commercial application are more like I hate to say it like more valuable than what they are within you know kind of library land and so a lot of folks in our positions see this and those that don't have to stay within a university or don't have to be part of like public education for reasons of like public service loan forgiveness they leave and to their credit you know. I was just thinking while you were talking about the need for professional development, even when you're not working. 
um, and how expensive it is. Because <laughs> um, today I was just planning, I'm taking two classes through Library Juice Academy. I'm doing a class on information architecture to kind of brush up the skills because I did take a class in library school. That costs money. Um, I'm taking another class on digital humanities, which is something Michael and I were talking about before, the, before we started <laughs> recording. And that's another class. That's another, you know, that's some more cash. My current plan right now is... I'm so frustrated with the library world as a whole because you kind of touched upon the fact that, you know, five years ago or six years ago, whenever, that the positions of web services, systems, kind of these, you know, I refer to them as slashers, were all mm -hmm. brand, well, <laughs> I mean, it's the easiest way to explain it, right? You know, I held three positions, so, you know, instead of explaining everyone to say I'm a slasher, then it's kind of like when... They, you're right, they were very new and they were kind of cobbled together from various other positions. And I think anything tech-wise was just kind of lumped together, um, including social media. And I remember from 2008, being a social media, having social media experience going into the library world was a big deal. And now that's completely changed. So it's now having front-end coding development, back-end server development. Um, you need to be fluent in like at least three OSs, you need to know what five, five programming languages. <laughs> and I'm just guessing here, but from what I've seen, this seems to be the typical trend, which goes back to my whole library, li uh, unicorn librarians are, you know, stupid. Um, <laughs> but so what my plan is right now is that I'm still applying for positions. I just did my 21st application today in the last month. I've got another 13 that I've got lined up. And I actually just weeded out a couple, just going over them. I'm also, uh, I get the Code for Libs RSS feed. <laughs> so um, mm -hmm. I just looked at it when you were talking about it. And the variety of jobs, almost none of them have really anything to do with libraries. Um, so right. the plan of attack is to continue applying for applications. Um, there is a coding collective here in Louisville called Code Louisville. And they teach you front end, back end. Pretty much anything having to do with, mostly anything having to do with the web. You can even do like mobile phone apps, whatever. They have cohorts that last about eight weeks. You have a project that you do and they have an astounding placement rate of something like 50, 60%. Yeah, these are boot camps. We have a lot of them in, um, or I guess that's what we refer to them in Miami. They're about eight, eight to nine weeks, right? Um, you're right. They partner or are themselves sort of um, kind of like a splinter organization right. from other startups and tech groups that are in the area. And their placement rate is pretty good. It's pretty intensive and it's not cheap, you know? Oh, this um, is free. At least it, oh, whoa. That, that's actually <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Those, that's one of the first I've heard. There's so many that are, you know, several thousand dollars still cheaper than you know going back to school um yeah but. it's it's pretty interesting the way they're they're doing it is that there's all these different tracks you can go down and they partner with treehouse are you familiar with team treehouse yeah okay yeah. our local library system actually has a services set up with treehouse so that's free and then yeah. we just got notification that code louisville is partnering with treehouse directly so they're bumping us up to premium also for free. And so when I graduate, um, I can still keep my Treehouse account through Code Louisville. And that will, I think you can keep it for up to a year. And then you can actually transfer it over and start paying for the premium services, which are only like 25 bucks a month. 
but yeah super valuable um treehouse is owned by i think envato which also owns um my favorite place to learn uh code school <laughs> and uh like some of the others but these this is a th- this ain't like a, a small community no, it's um no. uh, envato are is the organization behind uh theme forest which like for any wordpresser is yeah, where like the premium themes are you know and code canyon and just you know all these little marketplaces that you know do pretty good business and um i was gonna start associating them with like other sites but i'm not sure so i don't want to do that but they're big they're, they have a big presence in um the orlando area i think uh code school is up there in terms of i found because i was doing some classes through udemy and the problem oh it, yeah very good uh i kind of disagree udemy the problem with oh, udemy no. is that anybody and their 16 cousins can put a class up oh and sure. <laughs> um it seems i keep picking the class the cousins are doing um, there was one on WordPress development. I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. I can learn you know, how to develop my own themes. And they spent the first two or three classes telling you how to use WordPress, all the way from installing it mm-hmm. to, I'm like, okay. <laughs> if you're doing a class on WordPress development, at that point, you should have been able to install it, configure it, and kind of manage it already. You're just getting it a little bit more in depth. And yeah, so anywho, as far as compared to Udemy and a couple other places online, Treehouse really rocks, so I can't speak highly. I can't speak enough of them. Um, so the current plan is, like I said, is is do the coding cohort, which will take me up until June or July, and I'm going to start applying for probably software development right after that. And like brief interjection, this podcast is sponsored by my advanced WordPress course. <laughs> Through the ALA, which is currently not being taught, but with enough uh, teasing on Twitter or reaching out. Guys, if you want to <laughs> go to my advanced WordPress class, it's really good. So basically Please. just don't go through Udemy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gathering that. Yeah. So you've kind of communicated that frustration with the library world. <laughs> are you um, Are you going to stop? Have you kind of given up on applying for these library positions or are you? Um, no. <laughs> I think I'm thinking I'm a masochist. Nina DeJesus, who was my co-defendant mm-hmm. in the case, she's not, she's she's out. She is not um, going to be applying for positions. Uh, she hasn't been applying for oh, positions. Wow. Yeah, I didn't hear that. So she's been out and she's been really praying, burning candles, sacrificing goats, whatever you want to call <laughs> it, um, for me to get a position. I think I tweeted a while ago that library world is a place where I felt like I could take all my skills from all the variety of different jobs I've had over the years and kind of use them in a variety of different incidences. And I could actually, since I could pull all that stuff out and I wasn't concentrating on one specific thing, that find, you know, that feels cool because it feels like all this knowledge and education isn't for naught, you know? It's like I can totally use my Master's in Humanities even though it seems worthless. <laughs> you know, I can use it for whatever. And it, I think the library world is probably, despite everything, Library world is one of the places where I felt really at home, and I don't, I'm not ready to be kicked out yet. I'm tenacious, <laughs> and it's one of the things I think is probably one of my strong suits, and I'm trying to be a little bit smarter about applying for positions, which is, it's an ongoing process, uh, how I was applying for jobs. Even six months ago, is completely different from how I'm doing it today. One thing I did do was add a disclaimer across my personal blog and my professional sites that, you know, the case has been dismissed just to make sure if anybody had questions, they can contact me directly. So I think a lot of the frustration is right now is because of the case. Yeah. It was pointed out to me that it took me 110, 111 jobs before I got my last position. 
And so maybe that's part of it as well. Interesting. Well, I, th- I think part of it has to do too is, you know, we kind of touched upon this several times about the changing of the positions that are happening now. So what was required five years ago is completely different than today. I, I will admit, I struggle when I'm applying for the digital scholarship slash digital humanities because I have no idea what that means. I mean, I have, an, <laughs> I have a conceptual idea, yeah, but yeah. there's no one definition of what it is. So I kind of wing it. Right, it's nebulous. Yeah, I kind of wing it. I, I, you know, obviously I've gotten rejections from those, but um, it's, yeah, I just, I keep going. I have no other choice uh, other than keep trucking. To, to, you know, not that um, nothing kind of amazing has come out, hasn't come out of this though. Um, You are, um, you're incredibly prolific and, (laughs) uh, and you, um, and the, this fourth part of your series is I think incredible, an incredibly useful guide full of wisdom a little bit of cynicism (laughs) but wisdom um for for librarians who are on the job hunt who i suspect you know are potentially in like the majority you know there are a glut of um, mlis owners out there um who are entering the market you know every every season right so your post i mean you 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 provide um spreadsheets and (laughs) um well you know what's a librarian just because you've been right well, yeah, and just because you've been like logging like this, um, this uh, kind of like trial and error for years, there's an incredible wealth of um, insight, which I, you know, I find incredibly valuable, and we're certainly going to like link to it. But, oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> what, like how? So, so I want to. We're kind of rounding up on our time, and I kind of not that this is going to be easily summed up, but I, w- I would like to. Um, finish out with a couple of questions and Amanda I'm kind of interested in what you might have to say to this too um (laughs) (laughs) but um the first one is to those who are on the hunt who are looking who are are underemployed and looking to go up or who are unemployed or not library employed your advice to them figure out what you want to do I know that seems overly simplistic but it's I think uh, I mentioned in one of my posts that when I started applying for positions, I actually have it narrowed down to where I want to live and what the criteria is for those places. Yeah, there has to be a mini dealership. Yes, there has to be a mini dealership, a Whole Foods, and a Trader Joe's, or else you know we're gonna have to talk about the, the position. Those are those are huge cultural markers. So like, if you don't have a Trader Joe's, I, I'm similar. Like, if there's not like certain things nearby, I know that I am in like. Um, I'm in an, I'm in a territory that's not going to be very friendly to me. Yeah, <laughs> so, pretty you know. much. Um, but I, I would say the first thing they would need to do is they need to figure out what exactly they want to do. I remember through library school, I felt like a lot of the people were, I want to do youth services. And I don't think, I think they thought that they could just hang out with teens all day. And <laughs> and my friends who are, in, who are in teen services, youth services, that's just, you know, that's like half a percent. Um so figure out what you want to do. Uh, job development, professional development is going to be continually ongoing. It's not going to always be, I would say 95% of the time, it is not going to be supported by your place of work. So you might have to suck it up and pay it for yourself. And I'm not talking doing ALA specifically, but I'm talking about using services like Library Juice Academy, who's getting a lot of free. <laughs> a lot of free. Real quick on that, yeah. like Amanda and I have talked in several podcasts uh, how how we kind of, you know, certainly I think that um, it's, it's the reality, but it's also bullshit. There's no way that like a library can, and this is my brief tangent, but I'll stop. There's no way that a library or any org, um, employer can expect that you are going to advance in skill to keep up with the incredibly quick pace of 
the technology. But they do, Michael. That's the problem. They do. <laughs> well, not not all of them. Like to you know, to the credit of you know my library is like I like I'm allotted like a certain amount of hours per week to, to just like learn to play. But we also have a back end developer and a front end developer, so maybe we're the unicorn. Um, it the, could be. Um, I mean, a lot of places. I mean, I, I think well, the next thing I was going to ask you, but I don't want to like cut off like your original advice, but we're going to end up talking about our advice to or, or our, our shrewd like finger wagging at <laughs> employers and what they need to do to support these kind of types. But first, <laughs> sorry, I had, to, I had to butt in there because it pisses me off. Well, so here's the thing. Um, the last two positions I was at, and I'm going to say this really fast because I know we're coming up on time. The last two positions I was applying for uh, one was a small college that was about an hour from a big city. The other one was located here in Louisville. Both were almost identical, same positions, even though they had the same different titles. The job at the smaller school paid almost thirty grand more, uh, which I was like, <laughs> yeah. But the problem was is that their professional development was fifteen hundred dollars a year between five or six librarians, which <laughs> it will pay for like a class, maybe, if you can get it on the cheap. The other place, uh, the one here in Louisville was, yes, $30,000 cheaper, but the director told me, hey, if I wanted to have three computers and an iPad to do development on, I've got it. Um, they will send me to ALA, full, full ride to ALA. If I wanted to do another wow. conference, you know, if I wanted to go to... Um, LibTechConf in Minneapolis, or if I wanted to go to a LIDA conference, whatever, they would totally pay for it. And I was like, I just, <laughs> it's like the pay is terrible. Uh, it was, I mean, Louisville's a, a fairly inexpensive city. It would have been really hard for me. It would have been really hard to live here comfortably, but hey, you know, I can go to ALA for, for nothing. So, you know. Yeah, for me, I would probably walk away from a job if they said that they had no professional yeah, that was development tough. funds. Um, my big concern right now is I have massive amount of student loans. You can't get the many degrees that I have coming out of it clean. So my thing with if I would have been offered the position at the smaller college would have been to take it because I would have been able to knock off student loan debt super quick, whereas here I'd be struggling. So that, to me, is the consideration. Yes. To the people who are making the hiring decisions or who are <laughs> writing the job descriptions. Sorry. Uh, how, how do, yeah, no, no, seriously. Like, it's like, let's... Oh, man. What do you even say? Oh, I have so much to say. This is actually a post that I've been brewing on, but I don't know if I want to write it because I'm afraid I'm going to get shafted even more. Stop making the requirements for applications ridiculous. Um, I have an application packet right now that has three letters of reference, a cover letter, a letter of application, plus my resume, plus transcripts from every academic institution. So that's nine things going in. And it's for a community college position. I mean, Harvard didn't even ask for this. Or Yale or Princeton or any other Ivies that I've applied at. First off, stop making the application process impossible. Uh, second of all, stop having ridiculous questions of what, the, especially what is the future of libraries? <laughs> I'm tired of that question. It's, it doesn't serve a purpose specifically because what is a future of a medical library is completely different than, let's say, a small public library. And it assumes that you're going to have your finger on the pulse of all information regarding to those different stems of librarianship. Um, if you are an academic library <laughs> and you have an in-person interview, stop doing those stupid meet and greets. They serve no purpose. I'm very passionate about this topic. The last two that I've been to, 
That's so standard. But it's just it's <laughs> like I say that I've been on the other end. I mean, yeah. both yeah. places served really terrible lunches. It was literally like like American cheese on like Wonder Bread, and this is a uni- <laughs> you know this is a university that t- you know the president makes millions literally, and the meet and greet was awkward because all the you know existing people working there don't want to necessarily meet you because you're just a body coming in. I understand meeting with the search committee. That's fine. I understand. Uh, meeting with maybe a couple of the higher ups, that's fine. But the meet and greets are just ridiculous because everybody's putting a best face forward. What I use it for is to kind of see how people interact with their superiors. And that gives me an indication of how, what that place is going to be like. What do you look for? Whether or not they actually talk to their superior or not. <laughs> the position here in Louisville, uh, all the staff actually conglomerated in the corner. Didn't talk to the director at all. So to me, that says... Maybe there's something missing from this relationship. And when you talk to these people one-on-one, though, obviously they're going to be glowing, right? They're going to be talking about, oh, he's so great, and they did this, and they did that, and, you know, what have you. But in reality, watching them tells a whole different story. So I watch how they react with their superiors. I watch how they interact with each other. Um, I kind of make decisions on whether or not, uh, based upon that, if I want to apply, if I want to continue on with the application process. Because if I don't see them being at least moderately congealy, um, congealy. <laughs> if I don't see them being moderately uh, interested in the other, then I know it's not going to be a good fit for me. Um, at the other place that I applied to, everybody loved the director. She was hip. She, you know, she talked to all of her all of her uh, people about a variety of different topics and she was very into their lives. I mean, she really cared about her staff. And to me, and that's why I was like, I found my people. Of course, they didn't take me, but I found my people. So that's, that's pretty much a topic. I'm, I've got more, but I'll just leave it at that. I have three different academic interviews I've been on. The first one of them, I was like, so what do you like about working here? <laughs> Dead silence in the entire room. No one had a thing to say. Another one, the entire day during the meet and greet, people would look at each other and be like, who are you? Or say, oh, you know, like Barbara. And then someone else would be like, oh, no, she quit. And all day long, like nobody knew each other in a rather small library. Um, I found to get, I found a couple of questions. Um, I do the culture one. And again, you get the, the silence. And and I wait for them to how they interpret it. And then I usually kind of give my explanation of what I meant. And usually that varies from interview to interview. But the big one I found that stumps them is I asked them, what do you expect the um, encumbrant to have completed in the next six months? And I did a Skype interview with the small small college I was mentioning earlier. And they all three at the search committee looked at each other and were like, I don't know. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, okay. You know, but that's a good question I found asking future employers is what do you want this you know what do you want the incumbent to do and most of them will not have a an answer very insightful yeah those are um, great lisa yes. thank you how can people uh, get a hold of you read what you're <laughs> writing uh do you want the professional or the personal either, either. Okay. what do you want um my personal both? stuff if you're into uh train wrecks as i continually call myself um i write over at exit pursued by a bear.net uh, the professional stuff where I try to be a little bit more um, professional, <laughs> sometimes it's hard, is over at lisa.raby.net. Um, and I think, Michael, I think you're going to give a link to that. Um, I'm on Twitter Lots as of by Shield Maiden. 
And if you go to exitpursuedbyabear.net, you'll have links to everything that I just mentioned. So if you can't remember how to spell my last name, that's totally cool. Got a link to that. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye.